Okay, let's go before the throne of grace and prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would build us up uh, according to your word um, and and your truth. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be with those who are yet on their way. We pray, God, that you would guide and direct them. We pray that you would... Um, ready as all, Lord, to look upon your face and to hear from you and to respond by faith to you. And I pray, Lord, that it would be for your glory. God, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, we've been at our study of worship now for, I think, uh, just this is the fourth week, I believe. And we started off discussing what worship is. Uh, how would you define worship? Praise and honor of God. Yeah. I have worship, and it's it's capital W, but is the Lord gathering his people to corporately meet with him face-to-face uh, to sing songs that are rooted in, in biblical truth as to who he is and what he has done and to glorify him? Uh, one thing that we see about worship in the scriptures is that it is to be a joyful thing. That our, our gathering together ought to be uh, joyous, it ought to be uh, convicting at times, but also encouraging and stir up within us a, a heart attitude of thankfulness and a humble posture before the Lord uh, as, we, as we worship Him. We talked about the regulative principle. Uh, how would you define the regulative principle? Scripture tells us to worship God. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the last two weeks or so, we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 12, where God describes our worship to him and how we're to worship him. Uh, We continued that conversation um, as we have looked at the first two of the Ten Commandments. Uh, The first four of the commandments tell us how we are to um, how we are to respond or, or how we are to worship God, and then the last of the Ten Commandments tell us then how we are to treat and love one another. Uh, we're not, however, to worship God contrary to what His Word says. We're not to add to it uh, or to somehow include in it gimmicks or lyrics that are not explicitly written in scripture or different ideas. Um, I thought of this this past week. Rachel and I, well, when we were in, we went to, where was it? Maybe it was Florida after her brother and her parents moved to the panhandle of Florida. Uh, we went and um, visited with her family and there was a baptism at the church that evening. And what what happened was was pretty atrocious. Uh, nobody at the church seemed to mind, but they were doing a baptismal service. And you had, you know, the first, uh, it was a large church, the first 10 baptisms or so were kids. And their youth pastor, a young woman, um, said that God viewed their baptism the way that God viewed Christ's baptism. So literally they would baptize the kids, <laughs> atrocious, 
and they would pull them out, and she encouraged the congregation to recite what God told his son when his son came up out of the water, uh, that that is my son or daughter, as it were, with whom I am well pleased. Uh, you, you duck out of the way for lightning to come, but um, they thought that that was worshipful. They thought that that was good. Uh, I couldn't believe what I was hearing and what was seeing, but but people literally were eating it up. You know, that almost suggests a baptismal regeneration. Yes. Which usually believers at the believers' baptism churches are totally against. Yeah. It's true. It, it was absolutely atrocious. As well as the deification. Yeah. <laughs> a virtual deification of your children, or one's children. It was awful. It was blasphemy. There aren't enough adjectives to use to describe what had happened. But we began then last week at looking at the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments and applying them to the regulative principle. God tells us through Moses, verses 1 to 3, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, what does it mean if you remember, he says, you shall have no other gods before me, explicitly the phrase before me. What does that mean? Does anybody remember? You shall have no other gods before me. Basically. Yep. Uh, the the Hebrew rendering of the word uh, I forget what it is, uh, but but literally that that nothing can compete with God for our affection in our heart of hearts. There's there's nothing that that we should come across or love or desire uh, that that somehow uh, competes for His affection in our life uh, and. Um, we exclusively worship him. There are no others that nothing competes with him for that affection in our hearts. And, uh, we are unapologetic to that, uh, that fact. Uh, so with that, with that being said, uh, what did the first commandment have to do with worship? I mean, we kind of already given the answer, but just to nail the head of the nail. What does that have to do with worship? You shall have no other gods before me. Shouldn't be a lot of distractions in the worship service, like big bands and stuff. That's right. And in particular, uh, both corporately and in our hearts specifically, that when we come to worship the Lord, other things are not competing for that, that place in our hearts, the throne of our hearts, as it were, but rather we come together to look upon the Lord face to face uh, as we worship him and glorify him and thank him for all the many uh, blessings that he has given to us and uh, who he is according to his word. Then we looked at the second commandment, uh, which is verses 4 to 6. Uh, would somebody mind reading for us chapter 20, verses 4 to 6, please? You shall not make for yourself a carved image any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath 
for that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You should Uh, yes. Yep. Thank you. Okay. So, what does the second commandment have to do with worship? Who or what your worship is directed towards? Yes. We're not. Uh, we're not constructing what we believe God to be. We're. We're not worshiping or constructing or painting pictures of Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't want those. Uh, we need to get rid of them. We simply come to worship him as he reveals to us who he is in his word. And he says something very specific about himself. He says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. What does it mean for God to be jealous in this context? He knows his sovereignty. Yeah. And he, he very much wants what's his. So. We are to ponder the single mindedness of the Lord. Yeah. His jealousy is, is not like ours. He wants what belongs to him, what we were created to do. We are made in his image. And the Lord calls us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And he wants what's his. And therefore, we are to give it to him. And this morning, now we're going to look at the third and fourth commandments. Uh, Would somebody read for us Exodus chapter 20, verse 7? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his Okay, thank you. Uh, what does it mean when he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain? What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? To say it without reverence, to say it quickly. Yeah. Yeah, to treat it as if it is a trivial matter. Uh, to treat his name as if it is just a common name. Um, the heart attitude of coming to worship and getting so far into the habit that it's no longer unique, that it's not special. Uh, it is the use of his name. Um, we, you know, you watch television shows, and one of the things that we've noticed that is quite alarming, and, and personally it makes me cringe, is the number of people who feel absolutely comfortable taking the Lord's name in vain as if it's a cuss word. Uh, they, they use the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, as if it's a, a, a cuss word. But what's more alarming than that is, is that even if there is a sense of, um, you know, maybe, maybe using God's name in vain, you know, not wanting to offend other people who honor, who want to honor God's name, using the term o- OMG. Yeah. OMG. It's like this, this punchline that's used that everybody's comfortable with. 
And it is literally no different than using God's name in vain. Um, I had a professor in college who used to say that saying, oh my gosh, is as bad at a heart level <laughs> as saying God's name in vain. Uh, because it gets at the same heart attitude uh, as if you're using God's name in vain. I don't know if that's uh, necessarily true, uh, but I understand what it is that he's saying. Why is it that the number of people is growing who feel less and less concerned about using God's name in vain? Why is that on the rise? Or of his son, Jesus Christ? Why? Decline of the fear of God. Unbelief, decline in the fear of God. Uh, he says rather explicitly here, uh, verse 7, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What does that mean? You'll answer for it eventually. What's that? You'll answer for it eventually. Yeah. Can you imagine standing before God Almighty in all of his glory? And he asked you rather pointedly, why were you okay using my name in a vain manner? Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number 99. What is required in the third commandment? The answer that we must not by cursing or by false swearing, nor yet by unnecessary oaths, profane or abuse the name of God, nor, or I'm sorry, yeah, nor even be our silence and convenience be partakers of those horrible sins in others. And in summary, that we use the holy name of God in no other way than with fear and reverence so that he may be rightly confessed and worshipped by us and be glorified in all our words and works. So there's a few things that the Heidelberg Catechism is pointing out to us. That we're not to swear, we're not to use it in vain. That we aren't to use it through unnecessary oaths. Bless you. What does that mean, through unnecessary oaths? Well, when I was a kid, I don't know if it still was practice, but if you tell somebody something and they would say swear to you know, you'd say yes, because you know you want to be sure you're telling the truth or saying the truth, but you're taking them, it's an unnecessary oath that you are swearing to God that what you're saying is true but it was so, it was so used so often and frequently that it really didn't really mean anything to anybody, you know lying through his teeth that he's going to say that he does. Yeah, Yeah. I've heard young adults start their phrase that way. I swear, and then say what they're going to say. Yeah. (laughs) Scary proposition. Um, Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Can somebody read for us verses 33 uh, to verse 37? Matthew 5, 33 to 37. But um, I think Jim is is correct. We'll see what Jesus has to say about it. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, 
You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not answer at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your yes be yes, but your no be no, for whatever is more than the is from the evil one. Okay, thank you. What is uh, what is Jesus' point here? Again, it's already been said, but the nail the the nail on the head. Bring You're saying the, yes, mean yes. You're saying no. And it it is that simple. If if somebody were to ask you to do something, you can either do it or you can't. You say yes, though. You do what you say you're going to do. If the answer is no, then the answer is no. You're free to say yes or no. Uh, but the interesting thing here is that Jesus is bringing up the practice that was held in their day. If you go back into the Old Testament, uh, you could clearly see examples. I can't necessarily think of one off the top of my head, and I apologize about that. But you can see examples in the Old Testament where if there was a contract that was entered into a covenant of sorts, uh, the, the person would say, I swear by the name of God, or I swear to God, and God permitted that. Uh, because you are, you are appealing to, uh, according to God's word, that what you promised you're going to fulfill. And if you fulfilled it, there's no issue. The problem, though, is what started to happen is people were making promises that they had no intention, which is what... Jim was talking about. People had no intention of fulfilling their word, and they're just making promises all over the place. And when they would promise, they would say things like, I, I promise by heaven or God's throne or, or by the earth or, or by Jerusalem and so on and so forth. And the people that they're making the promises to believe the Pharisees when they made the promise. Like their, like their word is ironclad and they're good to go. But these men had no intention of fulfilling their promises. They're just promising whatever to shut you up and to move along. And what he's saying, what Jesus Christ is calling us to do, is to simply uh, do what you say you're going to do. Uh, you don't need to appeal to all of these other things uh, because all of this world and everything is it in it is God's. Uh, so... Uh, in your heart, when you are deceiving people, making promises you will not keep, you sin against the Lord. You go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, and the Lord tells us there, see, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Um... The other thing that the Heidelberg Catechism says to us is it refers to our, our silence and, am I pronouncing this word, connivance, be partakers of these horrible sins in others. What does that mean? It says our silence or connivance, be partakers of these horrible sins. What's that mean? Partakers or connivance. I like that word, can I believe? <laughs> Talking about tricking people, connive. You, you, you hear the word connive. I hear, I hear 
trickery. Uh, but the other thing is, is silence. That is, uh, people are just flippantly using the name of God uh, or making oaths that they have no intention of keeping. To be silent is what the catechism calls a horrible sin. And then finally, it says that we use the holy name of God in no other way than with fear and reverence. Um, as it applies to to worship, yeah, can I add one other thing about the oath? Sure. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith in Chapter Twenty Two is of lawful oaths and vows. It does talk about you know a lawful oath uh, by a lawful authority. So, like if you were in a court of law and you know you put your hand on the Bible and you where to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Mm-hmm. So help you God, that is a lawful oath before a lawful authority, or in taking like um, when uh, when people, either political figures enter office or military people enter office, they uh, take a vow that they are going to uh, protect and defend the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And again, that would be considered a lawful authority and a lawful oath. Um, but it's it's the the flippant, easy, trivial sort of things I think that Jesus is, is addressing. And in this chapter, the fact that the Westminster body would have this as a chapter in the Westminster Confession of Faith, you know, um, is something. But but it, in, in the chapter, and there's like seven or eight uh, seven articles it does talk about the seriousness of it so you have to be very careful if you do that and think about people who get up in a court of law and say that and then lie blatantly I would say that's probably even more dangerous than the people who are like taking an oath into office they're yeah. probably taking it more seriously than someone just coming up in court right. to say something and yet then they don't do what they vowed to do before God. <laughs> that's a dangerous thing. But that's interesting. Um, it, it, it brings um, a seriousness that has long since been forgotten uh, for, for a number of people to just use God's name in vain. Uh, they, they don't care who they're lying to. Or how they're manipulating the situation in their uh, in their favor. It's a scary thing. Uh, Could we all turn to Balakai chapter one, and could somebody read for us verses six to eight? So Malachi is right before Matthew. If you didn't know, the prophet Malachi, and turn to chapter one, and could somebody read verses six through eight for us? A son honors his father and a servant his master. But then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Yet you who say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, 
is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept your you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. Okay, what what is it that Malachi is saying to us? Yeah. Uh, to regard him improperly is to treat his name in vanity. Uh, again, it's a, a, a various a very, very serious thing. Uh, we flip back now to Exodus chapter 20. And would somebody mind reading for us from verse 8 to verse 11? Well, let me, let me back up. How would you, how would you summarize and say that verse 7 applies to worship? Not just throughout the week, but in particular as we gather together as God's people corporately to worship him. I would say the seriousness of it. Um, yeah. We see a lot of churches that, um, you know, they're, they're getting very liberal and in doing that, not looking at sin, that Jesus is not as much God as he is their buddy. He's, he's just, a, just a buddy of theirs, and then they need that reverence. You know, we're, we're commanded when we get together in assembly to fear the Lord, right? It's Psalm 89. Or, Assembly should fear the Lord. I don't think you see that in a lot of churches anymore. You don't have that. They don't have that reference. No, it's very true. Um, Back back in the day, I I think maybe it was towards my senior year. I graduated from high school in '99. um, Went to college. There was a fad uh, of uh, maybe you remember, but t-shirts and hats and sweatshirts and so on that said, "Jesus is my homeboy." You guys remember Jesus as my homeboy? Yeah. <laughs> Cringing, so, yes. Cringing, yeah. Homeboy. Like you're on the you're on the street, you see your homie, you fist pump him, or you give him the whatever the handshake on the street. Yeah, <laughs> he's my homeboy. He's not somebody I I have a reverence for, who I worship. And, and I remember, uh, we talked about it in Christian doctrine class. And one of the young girls who did not grow up in the church. So, uh, you know, we can, well, the, the, the teacher who was a, <clears throat> before he became a, a doctor, um, and taught was a, a church planner. He pre, he planted, um, churches for the OPC in, I, th- I think, uh, North Carolina and, and one other state. So he had a pastoral heart. He wasn't just imparting information to students. He he was he was loving us. He was pastorally advising us and encouraging us. Um, but he, <laughs> I remember his his name was uh, Doctor Doug. Um, I forget his last name, but but he and I had become really close friends because he was a he's a quiet guy, but but. I don't know. I found him to be funny and quirky and, um, I don't know. But anyway, um, very, very compassionately, he's talking about how Jesus in, in our day in 19 or or 2000 and whatever it was in college, 
Uh, he's describing that Jesus is now seen as your homeboy. He's not the Lord of hosts. He is not the son of God. He is not the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is your homeboy. And how deplorable that is. And it's no different than the Super Bowl ad. What was the Super Bowl ad we talked about on Tuesday night? Uh, what was that called? That he gets us. Okay, the 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 blasphemy of of somehow suggesting uh, that God through Christ is going to overlook your sin to the point that His children ought to go and completely ignore everything about your life that is in opposition to Him and sit at their feet and wash them um, because that's what Jesus would do is an utter lie. <coughs> I'm getting on a tangent here. I'm sorry. Um, but we're sitting there in class and this, this, this girl who did not grow up in the church was basically learning about the faith for the very first time in her life says, what's wrong with that? I don't have a problem calling Jesus my homeboy. You know, we're, we're cool like that. You know, we fist pump and we give handshakes and we, you know, what, whatever, whatever you want to do with your friend, except that this friend save me. But now we're cool. And this doctor, uh, who, <laughs> Dr. Doug, uh, I forget his name, but, but I'll never, I'll never forget his expression. He's standing there full of students who are, you know, in their twenties. And most of them, frankly, couldn't believe what this girl was saying, not because she was saying it, but because she's saying it to Dr. Doug. Okay, why are you saying that to Dr. Doug? Doug is the most conservative man that any of us had ever met at that particular time. And I'll never forget the expression that he had on his face. He, he kind of looked down at his notes and he, and he looked up and you could tell in his eyes that he was grieving for her because she did not know what she was talking about. It, it's not just that there's no reverence for the Lord. It's that nobody understands why it's irreverent. We're so biblically illiterate in our culture, even though we are a Christian nation, that nobody knows why it's wrong to be, to be so flippant about, about Jesus Christ, about our Father in heaven. It's scary. He was grieved for her. One mad at her. Maybe in his flesh, I don't know. I can't, I don't know his heart. But he was grieving for her. She had no clue what in the world anybody was even talking about. Why is that bad? We kick it. Jesus, Jesus and I don't, and forgive me, I don't sit down and, and read the word. We kick it. Really? All right. <clears throat> Verses eight through 11. Can somebody read those for us? Yeah. Do you think that some, some of that comes you were talking about the catechism and it says that silent, we shouldn't be silent. Do you think as believers, we, instead of actually addressing, because, you know, I'll, I'll have somebody that's talking to me and they know that I'm a believer and then they all of a sudden they take God's name in vain. I think in the past I had thought, well, you know, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. But what we're saying is, is that my silence in that is sinful because I'm not standing up for God and as a, and society has pretty much normalized taking his name in vain 
they've decided that it's an okay thing to do. And it, do you think it's sinful as believers to to not say something? I I mm, to call it a sin. That's what the catechism is saying. It is saying that it is a sin. I think if we're not careful, I think um, we could be so intimidated by people and culture that we would compromise our Father in Heaven and His name and our treatment of Him and His name by not saying anything. Yeah, I would agree with that. Can you can you help uh, with how we would approach that? I mean, practically, I'm, I'm thinking practically, I'm in a conversation, someone says the Lord's name, and they, they say, oh, I'm so sorry. Is that the opportunity for me to say, you know, it, what, what do I say practically? I mean, can you give me an example? Yeah, I know that the Spirit leads us when we're in those situations, but can you kind of, you know, practically give an idea of what that might look like? Yeah. One, one, so this happened to me. I wasn't, I didn't know the person, but I was standing in line at a grocery store and this guy's on the phone and he says, he uses God's name as a cuss word. He gets off the phone. He's all frustrated. And I looked at him like I would anybody else. I'd eye. I was like, you, you're treating the name of God as if it's a piece of trash. Repent. It was just that simple. One complicated, one hard. I, I said it very kindly. Um, I, I think I tend to be direct. Uh, and so I guess my response would be direct. If somebody is bold enough to say the name of God as if it's a cuss word and they do it and they do it and they don't care that they're doing it, as a child of God, I, I think I can be so bold. It is an opportunity to share the faith. I was just going to say that, Kevin. I, I work in the construction repair industry, and I tell you, in that blue collar end of it, you know, the, the cussing is just, I mean, it, it's just how some guys talk. So you hear it constantly. And sometimes, especially when I was younger at the job I am now, there were some people that you couldn't even go to break because the way they would talk, and they'd, they'd want to be the ones talking. It was just, uh, just offensive. But I've learned that another good way to say it is, you know, hey, I, I'm not offended by too many things, but when you take God's name in vain, I'm offended because I believe that He, you know, is everything to me, and I believe in Jesus Christ, my Savior. So it's kind of a thing that you can say to Him. You know, everybody wants to tell you what they're offended of these days anyway, so it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> you hurt me, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But saying, you know, I I can stand a lot of things, but when you take the name of the Lord in vain, say something. Yeah. I had a conversation with uh, somebody at work, and, and she's a professing Catholic, and, um, and she was taking Christ's name in vain, and God and, and one time I just I just said please don't take the Lord's name in vain like that why do you do that don't you realize what you're doing and after that you know maybe months later she started to she would like catch herself and go oh I'm sorry you know I won't <laughs> to you I'm sorry. to me yeah. <laughs> you know? but think about the zeal that the Muslim has for the name of Allah they'll kill you you know I'll <laughs> kill you 
if you blaspheme that name. So we should, by God's Spirit, be a little bit bolder, <laughs> you know, not to that level, but, um, you know, try to be a little bit bolder. And, but I think, as you said, to do that graciously and kindly, but boldly enough to be like, this is my conviction, and I'll talk to you more about it, but, but please don't do that. You know, I think we should, for sure. I almost thought that it'd be, it's harder if it's in a group of people, you would think, but I, I do agree, it, it's probably when you're one-on-one with somebody, it's probably not something you want to get into if, if there's other things going on, but God puts us in those situations. Ultimately, it's not just me or any believers being offended. That's the main issue, though. Yes, we are offended. Yes, but there is, there but is that there is the the great, terrible, final <laughs> judgment moment before the throne. Yeah. Um. But yes, we understandably want to speak on his behalf. Is that helpful? Yes. My, my love? Well, you know, I just think about, like, you know, it becoming normalized, and, and part of that is the responsibility of a true believer to, we're, we're part of that, allowing it to be normalized. I, I, I think about that, and I think, oh, man, that's kind of a weight. Mm. And, of course, one of the ironies is that you're going to hear. You're going to hear the very same uh, God's name blasphemers claiming that they don't believe in God and they don't have to listen to you or me, and uh, and yet they feel very passionately about defending their free speech. <laughs> mm-hmm. We should suggest. Why don't you say Buddha? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Use Buddha. Or use a lot. Yeah, use a lot. See, see how well that goes. See how well that goes down someday. Those are false. Guys. Are you gonna, gonna yeah, walking yeah, walking walk, walk, walk walk behind somebody and yeah. walking behind somebody instead of using God of the the one true living God? Somebody says Allah. Yeah, yeah. Or, or whatever. Yeah. Um. OMA. <laughs> You're right. The, a Muslim, a conservative Muslim, would kill us in a heartbeat. It wouldn't bat an eye. Trying to remember. I, I, I remembered a. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. So, uh, getting back to the, the question of whether or not it is a, it is a sin um, to, for people that you know or people that you don't know, uh, to use the name of God in vain and not to say anything. Um, one of the things, so I, I mentioned this before, but when I was in college, I worked at Cole's department store in the truck unloading. We, we were supposed to talk about two commandments tonight, but, or tonight, this morning. Um, but this is a good conversation. But anyway, um, I, I worked as a truck unloader for Cole's and they would come at, you know, six, seven o'clock at night, we would arrive, we would unload. It, it, all this clothing was, was packed in this plastic wrap. And you have to take the wrapping out or, or other products that were going to go on the store floor. And what I remember about that, no differently than some of what you guys are, are talking about, is, is 
you know, all of the, 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 the cussing and using God's name in vain, the, the thing that, that, that the Lord pressed upon my heart, um, in, in reference to this and, and in worship was, um, how, so I worked with a guy who went to, um, I was in college. I worked with a guy who went to, I think it's called Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. It's a, it's a Baptist, it's a general Baptist seminary that is affiliated and connected to Cornerstone Bible College. If you've ever heard of that in Grand Rapids, Michigan, has anybody heard of Cornerstone? Okay. It doesn't matter. Um, and he, he was, he was working there, I think, full time. I think he, he had another job. Uh, he was training to become a pastor and it, it didn't happen for him. And, you know, he was doing other things with his life. The thing that I remembered about that is that all of these, all of these people were using God's name in vain. They were cussing a lot. But the, the thing that I remember is, this guy's ability, and I don't know his heart, I don't know his state of mind, but I remember how comfortable he appeared to be to me in friendships with these people, and he never seemed to say anything to them. So it's not as if he didn't know them. He was friends with some of these people that that he was working with that was using the name of God. So... The reverse is also true that it ought to, it ought to, it ought to bother us when we're around believers who don't consider that vile to do. Does that make sense? Am I overreaching? Does that make sense? If we've get, if we get to the point where it doesn't bother us, we're out of time. If it doesn't bother us, what what do we need to do in our heart to get back on track with what the Lord would have us do? It doesn't mean that we become Bible thumpers where you're running around like Batman, finding everybody who uses the name of God in vain. We have to examine ourselves. Uh, so, uh, again, how would we apply... Uh, verse 7 to worship. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Hey, just one more. Yep. I, may, um, I know from experience when you're around a group of people and somebody's doing it, it's best not to uh, call them out in front of everyone. Sure. It would be best to wait. Yeah. Your silence isn't doesn't mean forever. I sure. You know, if that person that's doing it, it'd be best to take them aside or say something afterwards. But you confront somebody in a room full of people, probably better be ready for the consequences. <laughs> yeah. Some will come, yes. <laughs> they will come. All right, well, very, very good. Um, but the, the takeaway as believers is for, is for us to take his name seriously, to, to come corporately together to be ready in our hearts to worship him as he has revealed himself in scripture uh, that we might worship him according to his word glorify and honor him as he desires to be worshiped but we take that seriously Uh, we don't look to make oaths that we have no intention of keeping 
Uh, and frankly, we are salt and light in the sense that when there is opportunity to hold up the truth, uh, that we declare it unapologetically, uh, perhaps with, you know, with wisdom and tact and love, uh, but that we do it. Let's pray. <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you for your word. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bless us, God, as we go about the rest of our day worshiping you. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, about your grace and your mercy and what you have called us to do and to be according to your word. Lord, help us. Help us to hear from you and to be doers of the word and not just hearers. God, we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.